have you started the Sober Curious Reset yet? This is the title of my new book, which is a workbook and self-study program to guide you through 100 days alcohol-free. The book is the perfect companion for anybody who is re-evaluating their relationship to alcohol. And it contains all the insights gained from conversations I've had with people just like you about what it means to be sober curious, as well as everything I've learned about how to apply this to your life. Each day of content starts with a different sober curious question for you to consider, which might be anything from what am I going to drink tonight to what is it I don't want to be feeling right now, along with a specific teaching on this and an interactive exercise to help you integrate it. Anybody can engage with the Sober Curious Reset, regardless of where you're at on your sober or sober curious path, and you can find it wherever you buy your books. You can also join the Sober Curious Facebook group, where thousands of people are supporting each other in this work. I hope to see you there. Welcome back to the Sober Curious Podcast, a place for conversations about living a more conscious, connected, and present life. I'm your host, as always, Ruby Warrington. And my guest this week is Shauna Cummins, a professional hypnotist and author of the new book, Wishcraft. So I've worked personally with Shauna several times over the years, and not only has her work been hugely helpful for managing anxiety and burnout, the theory behind it completely fascinates me. We often have a negative view of hypnosis, thinking about it as some sort of mind control when actually it's a way of taking back control of our own imagination to help ourselves get unstuck, which is one of the reasons it can be so helpful when addressing issues with addiction. In our conversation, we do an in-depth breakdown of how this works, as well as discussing ways to access the inner well of resources that can help us get through the most challenging times without having to reach outside of ourselves. This is Shauna Cummins. Shauna, welcome to the Sober Curious Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I've been really, really looking forward to this conversation. So I think I remember one of my earliest kind of um, brushes with hypnosis was around addiction. Mm -hmm. I've always had this really intense habit of fiddling with my hair. I've even been doing it while we've been talking. I don't know if you noticed, but (laughs) it's gone through different phases of of intensity throughout my life. Mm -hmm. And there have been times when it's been really bad. And I think the first time I went to a hypnotherapist was like, can I, how can I stop fiddling with my hair? Like it was just this compulsion. It didn't really work for me. Um, I don't know if she just wasn't the right person. It wasn't the right time in my life, whatever, but. I think, and I mention this because I think we have, there's a sort of an an, an idea that hypnosis can be really helpful Mm -hmm. when we are struggling with any kind of addictive or compulsive behaviors. And I'd love if we could just dive in with why that is. Why can hypnosis be useful for us when we're addressing these things in ourselves? Well, I think the thing about hypnosis and addiction is that it's like, for example, when people, when I'll tell people that I'm a hypnotist, I, I still get, oh, are you going to make me cluck like a chicken, you know? Which I kind of love when they say that because I'm like, well, only if you want me to, you know? Meaning that you kind of have to want it, you know? So what is very helpful in most cases working with hypnosis and addiction is when somebody really, really wants to quit, wants to let it go, wants to change, but it's just kind of stuck. It's like there's a glitch in the system. There's kind of like a repeating thought pattern or behavior that's just kind of like blocking them from their real alignment. 
So hypnosis really helps to bypass that and to go to, to basically connect to deeper resources of how you can really let it go and how you can really get free without that. So if you're really kind of having a, it just aligns you, you know, and also it can motivate you to get more aligned and then to move in the right direction, you know? So if that makes sense. So like if that's, I think it's tapping into, you know, our inner resources because we can be our own worst enemy, you know? Oh, I love smoking, but I, I'm so like, it makes me sick. I can't breathe. I can't run. I want to be around for my children, but it's like, it, it gives me a break. It's my time to relax. But is it? You know, it's not. You know, they're lying somehow to themselves about it. And so with hypnosis, they can go in and they can really feel and see that and recognize it and be like, oh, yes, it's really toxic. Mm. It's really, you know, destructive. And they really have a felt sense of it. Whereas when they're just doing it every day, it's, it's super... It's just on the conscious level. It's not on the super conscious level. So they're able to align, connect on a deeper level to be like, oh, it clicks. And they're like, you know what? I didn't always smoke. I know how not to smoke. I could not smoke now and I will be free from it for the rest of my life, you know? So just feeling that kind of alignment, deeper resources. So that's how it works. But truthfully, there's still a lot of mystery to the process, you know? Mm -hmm. When you talk about our internal resources, what do you mean exactly? So internal resources, it meaning, um, I know it sounds pretty vague, they, the art of vagueness is also another way to talk about a good hypnotist. <laughs> <laughs> so meaning, you know, motivation, confidence, purpose to live, like the things that you love and appreciate about yourself and your life, like why you want to get up in the morning, why you want to make this change, you know, like that's, you connect to those resources on a felt, you know, deep subconscious level. I see. And you bring that to the surface. Right. So you're talking about there's a well of, it almost seems like there's a well of sort of truth and conviction Mm -hmm. and connection to our truer self, I suppose, for want of better words, for what is quite obviously a very mystical (laughs) concept (laughs) versus the kind of mental processes, which is where we live most of the time and where we make most of our decisions. Like the thought, the thought, the surface thought that's telling me, oh, that drink's going to help you relax. Whereas the deep inner well of sort of knowing and trust is that drink is going to take me further from myself. It's going to momentarily numb whatever I don't want to feel right now. And tomorrow I'm going to feel horrible. That's what we know. Mm -hmm. And so you're saying that hypnosis helps us connect to that deeper, quieter, felt part that's beyond thought. Beautiful. Yeah, I love the way you said that. And that's exactly, I refer to it as a like, an inner, like a, a reservoir of unlimited resources that we have inside of us, or like my wishcraft process or method, that inner well, exactly, exactly like you said that, because it is, it's it's a generative space, you know, it's a place where you can really learn to collaborate with yourself and learn that you can find new ways to do things, you know, as opposed to feeling limited and like addiction is like, I have to have it's very short and limited I'll have this drink and then I'll feel better and that's it you don't go beyond that so with hypnosis you're going into like a larger kind of viewpoint like an overview of your life experience or the habit and you're able to see the whole picture you're able to see actually I have that cigarette how am I gonna feel I keep having that cigarette 
year from now, how am I going to feel? Two years from now, five years from now, how am I really going to feel? Where, where is that going to lead me? You know, and then you can experience it as if that's really happening now. And then that's, that's like a wake up call, you know, yeah. without actually having to be in the doctor's office five years from now, getting that bad news, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's making me think about this, um, an author called Toko Turner who does a lot of dream work and I had her on the podcast and she talks in her book belonging about the word resource is like a return to source. And she talks about this idea of a well of sort of information, imagination. Um, and when we think about, you know, the source, the source of life being our sort of spiritual self in a way that when we are, when we're looking for resources or looking to resource, we're going back to that kind of like connection to yes. the well of all yes. sort of life, I suppose, and, and energy and wisdom and knowledge. And yeah, I love that. I've never thought of that or made the connection before, but the resource, exactly. That's Return so beautiful. The source. It's, it's absolutely a source energy. And so we use language in hypnosis to go beyond language, to take people into this dreamlike, hypnotic, you know, brainwave state where we can access our emotional selves, our imagination, our subconscious mind, and have more of a felt experience mm. as opposed to this kind of cognitive, kind of mm. more conscious level, which doesn't go as deep, mm. you know? Well, the same way that, and this is why I encourage people to, you know, go out and do a, do a sober first. Put yourself in that situation where you're not drinking and everybody else is and you're thinking, I'm never going to be able to get through that thing with that alcohol. I'm never going to. Only through having the lived, felt experience are you going to prove to yourself, I can do this. I don't need alcohol. You could mm. read about it in a million books. You could imagine, you think about it, you know, a hundred times, but until you actually physically live it and feel it in your body how, meaning feeling how good you can feel without alcohol in a social situation if that's something that scares you it will never land in the same way yeah absolutely I mean because you need that internal reference and also like lived experience and that's the best combination mm. to kind of reinforce one another mm. you know and also just take it one step at a time right mm -hmm. absolutely so you talk a lot about self-hypnosis how is that different from, you know, working with a hypnotherapist, for example? Is it something anybody can do? Is it safe for anybody to do? What is self-hypnosis? <laughs> so self-hypnosis is the practice and ability of putting oneself into hypnosis, but in a light, meditative, repetitive way. So in a way, you know, there's hypnosis where you can go to a hypnosis practitioner, but we say in the kind of hypnotherapy field, all hypnosis is self-hypnosis, mm. which is 99% <laughs> true, more or less. The truth is that self-hypnosis is, is more like a, a practice that you do every day to kind of keep yourself on track with affirmations, visualizations, um, maybe listening to some hypnosis tracks, interrupting thought patterns and behaviors, things like that. Um, but when you go to a hypnotist or a hypnosis practitioner, hypnotherapist, you're able to typically go deeper into, like for example, places that are more difficult for you to access a resource on your own. So I'll go to, mm. you know, of course we all have our things, right? That pop up or come to the surface where it's difficult for us to, to self-hypnotize because mm. we're going to deceive ourselves. <laughs> we need a little extra help. So typically, you know, going to hypnosis practitioner, I definitely think 
you know, you can go deeper for sure. And and somehow, you know, get more specific, you know, because with your, with your doing it on your own, you tend to kind of like not go as deep and not direct yourself as much because it's like holding on and letting go at the same time, you know, mm-hmm. when you're with some uh, practitioner, you can really let go. And that's like, you know, a big power yeah. of a big deepener for that experience. Um, but hypnosis, the trance state is what we're referring to when we talk about hypnosis, which is a state of narrowed attention and focus. And it is naturally occurring and pervasive in our culture. So we go in and out of trance states all the time. In fact, most of the time we're in a trance state. <laughs> most of the time. You say most, most of the time. Most of the time we're in trance states a lot, especially these days, because technically social media is a trance because you're in a narrow state of focus and attention. And in that state, your mind becomes entrained, right? It's an entrainment. It's a trance. Mm-hmm. And in that trance, your conscious mind relaxes. So social media is a trance state. And, you know, when I've, I've seen it now the past couple of years. I've been talking about this for like 10 years. But my God, every year it gets worse. And also with myself, I recognize going in and out of it. So I really am, you know, feeling the effects of it. So... You know, the, the definition of a trance state is that narrow state of focus and attention and that perfectly describes what happens, for example, in Instagram kind of whole, where you focus in and you lose track of time, you know, and right, we've all had that experience. Yeah. It's, it's actually quite extreme trance state. It is. I mean, you lose track of time hours. Right, and instantly as well. Instantly and Instagram. Yeah, obviously. it's so they know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. So, and what's happening there is you bypass your your conscious mind, just relaxes. That's why you lose track of time, and then you are open to more suggestible. You're more suggestible. You're open to susceptible to suggestion on a deeper level. With all of the sensory like experience of social media. It's a very emotional experience. So all that's going in and influencing us, mm. influencing our subconscious, our dreams, our desires. So anyway, that's an example. It's a mm. you know, modern example of how we're in and out of trance all the time. The classic example is watching a movie. Mm-hmm. So you, know, you suspend disbelief. That's a movie term. And we do that many times a day. So right. you suspend disbelief. You allow your conscious mind to relax. You go into a trance state where that more relaxed alpha theta brainwave state happens and you allow yourself to believe. So you have an emotional attachment, even though you know it's not real. So like something's happening, like the, you know, someone's being chased and you're like, oh my gosh, don't, don't go in the house. And they're like, oh no, you're going to go in. And you're scared. You're feeling it as if it's really happening. You're like, no, it's not real. So this is a very simple way. So you're having all those chemical reactions and you're allowing it to happen. You know, you're participating, you know, in that experience. And so that's really what hypnosis is. It's our natural ability to go into that state and be influenced. But with hypnosis and self-hypnosis, it's about intentionally influencing yourself and dehypnotizing yourself from Mm -hmm. all of that, you know, daily conditioning that we have from advertising media, social media, culture, family, all that stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's, it's really misunderstood you know, I think less so now than it used to be, but still, people will still be like scared of me when I say hypnotist, which I do kind of like. But <laughs> <laughs> it's power that's, that's my thing. But um, <laughs> but 
it's a natural ability and a practice and it's it's highly misunderstood because also it's associated with mind control so people are scared yeah. of it however people are in these states in most healing states that they're in they're in states of suggestibility and so in a way you know everyone should learn you know self-hypnosis i think to help first of all understand themselves better and when they are in states of suggestibility how they can ward themselves against it you know against being influenced in ways maybe they don't want to be. Yeah. Well, exactly. It sounds like this is... So we have this natural ability, which suggests that it has a a great use for us. We wouldn't be equipped with this ability to go into these states and to use our imagination and to, to manipulate our own emotional responses in these ways if it wasn't helpful for us. And yet it's being used on us or turned against us in a way all the time. I suppose advertising is like, you know, the obvious example of how that... Yeah. of how we're manipulated into behaving in certain ways based on what we believe and about ourselves and the world. Exactly. When we're put in that state. And yeah, so your so your your book Wishcraft which I really I want to talk about a bit later because I wanted I want to talk about this specifically how it relates to kind of drinking culture and substance use and things. But you do talk you teach this method for self-hypnosis and different ways that people can use this in their lives to kind of attract what they want actually and to really focus on what they want and just to that healing piece before we start talking about kind of alcohol specifically in your book you talk about how when you were in hospital as a child you kind of found yourself naturally self-hypnotizing yourself well Mm -hmm. wishing yourself well as you describe it and I just love that term and again (laughs) I want to talk to you about that a bit in a bit in a little bit but um can you describe like what you were what you were experiencing then and why in terms of healing ourselves and getting well wishing ourselves well we can use this yes as um, well yeah thank you for, for bringing that up um so you know thinking about it now um it, when i was sick and doing that i guess it was i was you know, I was nervous and afraid. And so it was a way, it was a coping mechanism, right? Um, you know, and I think that I really do believe it helped me a lot. And I remember like, you know, family members or some my sister being like, and my mom being like, Shauna was just like, she can just really put herself into the calmest state no matter what's going on, you know, like all of these, you know, crazy rashes and, you know, pneumonia, all these things. And I, she, my mom would be like, you just like, you'd be like dying on the floor and you're like, it's like you're like the, you know, the Buddha or something, you know, like you're, so in this happens a lot, I think with, with sick children too, they can kind of go and it's a little bit of a dissociated state. Mm-hmm. I think you can see it that way, but you know, it, it really helped me regulate my nervous system, you know, and it was then I felt a useful skill in other areas of my life that like getting stressed or fear where I was able to, you know what? Like I can calm myself down with breathing, with, you know, grounding myself, with um, thinking about things in a reframed kind of positive way. And then I think, you know, growing up before I learned about self-hypnosis and hypnosis, I I was thinking about that as a bad thing, you know, right? Mm Because disassociation is a bad term. But like you said, it's something as humans we do, you know, we have this ability to go into trance and disassociation is a trance, right? So... You know, in my case, it was helpful because it was helping me to calm my system, which when you're in these inflammatory states of allergy attacks and autoimmune issues, 
it helps to calm your system down. If you're going into a fear state or if you're having an asthma attack, you've got to calm yourself down, you know? Um, so, but in, in dissociation and trauma, you know, obviously that's a very clear example of how someone's trying to, the psyche is trying to protect itself mm. in that moment. But for me, you know, like growing up, I think I kind of then had an inclination to go into fantasy, you know, that was maybe unhealthy. And it wasn't until, I mean, it did help me, looking back, it did help me manifest kind of like fun and interesting things because I would just go wild and be like, well, why not that? That could happen. That could happen. But I think it also kept me stuck and avoidant, mm. you know, in, in like a wishful thinking kind of place that was like maybe covering up uh, a fearful state or something like that. But then when I recognized, you know, in, in my hypnosis training that that's what I had been doing, it was super empowering because it felt like, oh, you know what? This is a superpower when it's when it's made conscious, when it's made creative, and when it's made you know as a as a healing tool, you know, and not not in a place of avoidance, but in a place of like action and imagination, you know. Right. And so, it, so yeah, I mean, thinking about it when I think about myself, you know, spending all that time in the hospital as a kid, or just sick and alone you know it's a little bit sad you know but I feel like I'm grateful that I had that kind of response you know I think it was an intelligence you know that kind of was protective and um, and now it's wonderful because I feel like I've reclaimed it and I've brought a lot of consciousness and commitment to really working with it you know as a kind of healing tool Absolutely. Yeah. And this again, we were chatting about this before we started recording, the difference between fantasy and imagination, which is so interesting. Like we think we sort of have those two things under this broadly under the same category, I think, you know, yeah. fantasy and imagination. But we were discussing how fant when we're in fantasy, we're sort of using that, we're put using that sort of trance state to kind of escape from our reality. Mm -hmm. Whereas when we're in imagination, we're using it to kind of actually ideate a genuine sort of action path onwards. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that was the real turning point for me, you know, as, as an adult, when I started training in hypnosis and it occurred to me like, wow, first of all, I'm super fascinated by this and I love like, you know, hypnosis and the study of it, the field of it, the practice of it. And then when I really made that connection of, oh, I've been doing this since I was a kid. This is what I was doing in the hospital. Like, I'm a natural at this. <laughs> Maybe we all are. <laughs> but yeah, we all are. Exactly. And, and yeah. And so then, but when I really was like, wow, but this is the difference here because I was addicted. You know, it was helpful for that time, especially now understanding what was happening. It's empowering to know that there was an intelligence there that was kind of like moving me through this difficult experience. And perhaps, you know, overcoming all of those things that I don't, that I really no longer have, you mm. know? So I realized that I was getting addicted to that fantasy state. So for example, in junior high and high school, I would definitely go into, you know, a fantasy state, you know, on maybe irregular basis. And there are, there's a ton of, you know, research and books and articles written about how people get really addicted to fantasy. Mm. Like there was a certain point where I would like, I'd rather just lie in bed and fantasize than go out and live. Right have imaginary relationships and go out and have real ones because it's protective and but it's avoidant and it's covering up a fear of living really but when 
with hypnosis and self-hypnosis, I was able to really confront the fear with compassion, with, you know, support. I then was able to bring it to place of imagination, which is inherently creative. So the difference for me is seeing fantasy as really an avoidant kind of fear mechanism and imagination as creative and inherently active and then bringing it out into the world, you know? So then you're like taking chances, you're collaborating, you're committing, you know? You're you're using your imagination in a productive way. Yeah, right. You know? Which so, is a really big difference and it's a slippery slope. There's such a fine line. Such a fine line. As there is in, in this whole kind of realm, you know? <laughs> right. Um, yeah, med- medication, kind of like escapism versus pleasure and yeah, all of that stuff. And as you were describing that sort of teenage self sort of getting lost in a fantasy at home in your bedroom. I just imagine, I just like, isn't that what social media has done in many ways? Like we're just living these kind of fantasy lives online a lot of the time with people we've never actually met in person, potentially. True. You know, it just seems like that's, um, we need to be extra conscious Mm -hmm. of how that addictive fantasy life is filling in for us actually living our lives, you know? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think there can be, there's obviously, there's a lot of evolution and benefit to what has enabled, you know, us to do with like Mm. social media and fantasy, because it's it's a lot of creativity to, you know, um, for people, it's a platform for Mm. individual expression and activism and Mm. connection. But then, I mean, I'm just like never, you know, surprised by the incredible human capacity for self-deception, you know, that that it's like we always have to just bring it, we got to keep bringing each other and ourselves back to that and holding ourselves up to some kind of standard of truth and reality, being in the here and now, you know, using our imagination productively mm-hmm. like both things you know mm-hmm. because there's such a danger in that in that and uh, yeah we have a proclivity for yeah. self-deception you know we do it's easier in a way a lot of the time when our reality is confronting or making us confront things that we don't necessarily want to accept right self-deception is there as such a lovely escape just like alcohol <laughs> that can be our segue because <laughs> i was thinking about this trance state i remember um malcolm gladwell in his last book i can't remember what it's called now but has a whole section about alcohol being an agent of myopia mm, he's oh, like yes. this alcohol is not alcohol is not just numbing stuff it's not just an anesthetic it's actually narrowing our focus until all we can focus on is what's in front of us. And when you think about a blackout state, it's almost like our focus is so narrowed, we can't actually see or hear Mm -hmm. or feel anything. We're completely oblivious now because we're in such a narrow, entranced state. And it makes me think that we actually use alcohol as a way to put ourselves in that trance state too. And when we're using alcohol to relax, it's partly because it's just kind of blocking out everything apart from this person that I'm having fun with across the table from me right now or you know this this specific moment that I'm in so the desire again is to come into a state of narrowed focus where we can actually resource and kind of like connect back to ourselves but we're using the substance which at the same time 
fuels fantasy and is actually an escape from reality. Yeah. Again, it's such a slippery oh, kind yes, of I know, I conversation. Know. I just so fascinated <laughs> by it. It's, it's like we're kind of dialing in with alcohol while at the same time escaping. Exactly. Out. It's no, fascinating. Super fascinating. <laughs> and also, when you were talking about that, um, it made me feel like how, yeah, it, it kind of like has this false sense of being present, at least at the start, you know? Um, but And also feeling like you can really be yourself, but actually... Like what I've heard from many people in AA, for example, that I've worked with, they say like that's, you know, when I once I stopped drinking, I, I stopped lying, you know, because it's actually like you're not yourself. You're lying to yourself and like it's just that's what it encourages, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of like deception in this way. So, you know, it it's interesting. I think that, you know, with hypnosis, we can have experiences close to you know, substance-induced experiences, like psychedelic experiences. In psychedelic experiences, you can have this unique, you know, experience of being able to see your life as if you're outside of it or you're above it. You can have this overview experience of your life as if, like, the astronauts have on the Earth. And you can have the same thing in hypnosis or deep states of, you know, active meditation without the substances, you know. And I felt like through, I've been practicing nine years now, um, you know, it takes much longer. Like, but you can drop into those really incredible, profound hypnotic experiences early on. But then, when you practice, just like meditation, it gets better and better and deeper and deeper in ways that I think are better than drugs and alcohol. You know, mm. and because the inner drugstore, you are working with that. That's what. That's why it was working for me as a kid in the hospital because it was activating serotonin and dopamine, all those feel-good chemicals, right? Opposite to the fear and pain and so when we 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 can change our thoughts and really you know open up to this imaginal realm of hypnosis and have a felt experience by activating these different chemicals you know just like our fears and phobias activate cortisol and adrenaline really quickly you know and floods our system with that you know act fight or flight kind of like response we can do the opposite you know with intentional you know, imaginal journeying and hypnosis. But, you know, I mean, with, you know, with alcohol in particular, you can't do both. So, like, you you really can't, first of all, be drinking and do hypnosis. It doesn't work because your mind is gone. You mean at the same time? At the same time. Like, you can't really do that. You can't really do drugs and hypnosis at the same time because you don't actually have any control over your mind. It's just, like... Yeah. yeah, the substance does, or whatever that opens you up to. Um, so you're not able to really grow that strength in the same kind of way, you know. Mm-hmm. So it is about mind control, but in a positive <laughs> way. Because again, we have negative kind of associations with mind control and like brainwashing, and right. you know that which which again can be absolutely used against us. Yeah, you know. But this is about sort of reclaiming our control over our own minds. It sounds like what you're saying. Whereas certainly my experience when I look back at my drinking days, and I think many people will relate to this, is that I was abdicating control of my thought processes, my desires, my decision making, (laughs) willfully, perhaps because it felt like that was too much responsibility in a way to have control of my own mind, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, exactly. That's there's why something I'm... sort of freeing about just handing it over. But <laughs> at what cost? Right, at what cost, exactly. And it's, yeah, there's a danger in that. And But so mind control, for good reason, you know, there's fear and, you know, suspicion around it. Um, but it is being used more, more than we think, you mm-hmm. know, and it is pervasive in in our culture, you know, like mm-hmm. in advertising, in mm-hmm. movies, in media, mm-hmm. in propaganda, in propaganda, <laughs> in political yeah. rallies and speeches, mm-hmm. you know, they're using neuro-linguistic programming and, you know, group dynamics to help influence people, to help people, like, there's that saying that I like, that I refer to, um, often in sales, they refer to it, for example, they use NLP, which is if you have somebody's heart, you have their mind. Mm. And that's used, you know, all the time in politics and national in identity, um, you know, belonging, that kind of thing. Mm. But I think that if, if it's understood correctly and not feared, it can, you know, hypnosis and self-hypnosis is really uh, a great tool that we have available to us to understand how our mind works and how to make it work for us, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, and not something to be feared, actually. And there is there is a, a spectrum of susceptibility or suggestibility. So I'll listen to you know doctors or um, scientists talking about hypnosis, and they'll be like, "Well, not everyone can be hypnotized." That's that's very common in the medical field because they're really referring to that spectrum of suggestibility where allegedly 10% of the population are highly suggestible, 10% are highly resistant, and 80% are moderately suggestible. And so that's the the going statistic of it. But it is a practice, and it is a natural ability. Like mm-hmm. If you can watch a movie, you can be hypnotized, right? And you can actually understand how you're already hypnotizing yourself <laughs> in ways that you don't want to be hypnotized yeah it's making me think about like I can't watch horror movies I can barely watch thrillers because I feel it so strongly I'm like I'm there right so in those realms I'm super suggestible yeah and yet I was never the one at the party who like couldn't say no to it like I, I feel like that spectrum you described kind of loosely describes our collective relationships with alcohol there's maybe like 10% who are just one drink and that's it and I'm hooked and I'm on the road to like hardcore alcoholism the 10% who just like completely cold to it and everyone else is kind of somewhere in the middle (laughs) but I wonder if there are kind of different if there are areas where we're more susceptible than others you know oh I'm sure absolutely Mm. for various different personal Mm. experiences and circumstances Mm. and reasons I'm pausing this episode to tell you about Sapiens, a brand of fully de-alcoholized wine that you just will not believe tastes this good. Sapiens wines are made of real wine, not juice like most alcohol-free wines, so you get all the full-bodied flavor but without the hangover. Their wines are fully halal certified, which means they contain 0.0% alcohol, making them a safe choice whatever your reason for going alcohol-free. And they also have 70% fewer calories than alcoholic wine and are packed with the same health-giving antioxidants. I love the founder Tolu's story. As a non-drinker working in finance, she often found herself pretending to drink just to fit in. But this created social friction for her and left her feeling icky and excluded. So she started looking for alternatives. Along the way, she discovered that all kinds of non-drinkers feel this way because of their choice. And so her mission to create an elevated and inclusive alcohol-free option was born. 
I know so many people who've been waiting for non-alcoholic wines to catch up with innovations in the alcohol-free space, and Sapiens is my go-to. You can order directly at sapiensbeverage.com. That's S-A-P-I-E-N-S beverage.com, where you can also use the code SOBERCURIOUS to get 10% off your order. Now back to the episode. I mean, I know for me... I'm pretty suggestible. That's why I made this work for me, you know, because <laughs> yeah, right. I remember being not too long ago, I was in a, in a training um, and this master kind of NLP trainer was doing some questions with the group and he's like, you're very suggestible. Has anyone ever told you that? You're a really good hypnotic subject. I was like, yeah, I try to make it work for me. Was he I NLPing know. you? <laughs> I was like, he I was know. suggesting that we're suggestible <laughs> to you. <laughs> Exactly. But I, yeah, I, I had his number, but at the same time, um, it is a natural ability and, you know, and, uh, and a practice that I I love to share with people. That's why with the witchcraft, you know, I like, I like to make it special and fun and kind of like bring the, this element of, of ritual and celebration into it reclaim it you know yeah and play as well and play. it's very playful that's what I love about that title wishcraft yeah. as well it's like it's a craft like it's mm-hmm. something that we can play with in our lives and create with and exactly. have fun with yeah and not you know and bring it outside of the kind of like more patriarchal kind of perspectives of in my, in my opinion manifestation has been like super linear and like all about like okay I'm gonna control this I'm gonna say this and do this and manifest that shit you know like Mm. I'm gonna get it and it's gonna be exactly like I say and that's it Mm. and it's not really like that you know (laughs) in my experience (laughs) and and it's much yeah it's much more fun when you collaborate you know with yourself with other people in the universe because what you wish for could be you know much more limited than what you can actually receive. Mm. You know, you can receive much more than you even even knew or could conceive of. You know? mm-hmm. So yeah, so I like to bring that element into it because I think it brings makes it more accessible, but also special because it is special. Yeah, you know, it's a special power. It's a special power. Exactly. I'm just thinking as well about <laughs> the suggestibility of bar culture. And because a lot of the questions I get are like, what do I do when people are, you know, making me feel bad or not drinking? They're pressurizing me to drink. Mm-hmm. That's, we were totally, we're totally, there's a, a lot of sort of group suggestibility around like how we use alcohol and what certain situations we're supposed to use this substance and what it means if you're not part of that. It's very hard to resist the kind of pull of that group think that happens mm-hmm. when everybody else, when everybody's started drinking it's like this group trance is kind of happening it's really hard not to get sucked into it mm-hmm. so for someone who might find themselves in that situation what could be a good way to just resist getting sucked in if you feel like you're susceptible mm-hmm. to that well, with that, I suggest doing your own little pregame. Yeah, like, okay. Isn't that a term for like before you go yes. out drinking your pregame? So you do your own little pregame of self-hypnosis and you set yourself up for success, you know, because otherwise our mind's always going to negotiate with us. So we, there's the old saying from Rumi, the Sufi poet, the mind is a wonderful tool, but a terrible master. Mm-hmm. And so when it's in those situations of doing these things that it always did or other people do, it just goes to the default, you know, and it thinks that if you let it be the master, it's not good. <laughs> so, you, so you want to be ahead of it. So what you do is you set yourself up 
like just by writing down, I, I'm a big fan of just writing down five things. It just takes a few moments and it gets weird to, to like actually make that a habit. Cause you're like, no, 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 I have it in my head. But if you take the extra step and you write down five things that you're going to do to make yourself feel comfortable or things that you're going to say to make, to ward off some pressure, it can make all the difference, you know? Mm. And so even just have it on your phone and read it in the bathroom or something like that. So for example, like having, having the placebo effect for, of like having a glass, like a champagne flute with like a bubbly drink. It's, it's your private business, right? If you don't mm. want to say you're drinking, you say you're drinking, whatever, it's up to you. But if you do just set yourself up for success by, you know, t- saying that you're enjoying, you're getting high off other people, you know, or you, you know, just even some body awareness stuff of like grounding yourself in your breath and your body, noticing when you're getting nervous, locating in your body, you know, using your imagination to turn it into a color, bringing it out of your body, breathing in the resource state, breathing into that source state, reminding yourself of, you know, why you're not drinking, what is how good you're going to feel tomorrow, you know, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Like setting yourself up for success with just a little toolkit that you can refer to that can easily help you interrupt, you know, the those uncomfortable situations. Yeah, right. So you can do that in a lot of different ways and everyone's different. So I usually give people ways to interrupt physically. So like really be attuned to their body. Like, oh, I'm getting nervous. Like, oh, you can go to the bathroom, you know, regroup come back um you can yeah have that champagne flute with like a you know a seltzer or something like that you can have like um like a little elevator pitch of why you're doing what you're doing now and you feel good about it you know really connect with yourself of why you're proud of yourself for doing this you know Mm -hmm. think about other people who have done it who you admire who you're inspired by you think about other, other times you've done things that were difficult and you followed through or you you know whatever it is like kind of fortify your confidence in yourself and your own conviction and and also you know if you want to have a good time with other people in that environment sometimes it's hard because it's really annoying people are really drunk and you're not and you're in this place that's very loud and music is bad and you're like actually i don't want to be here yeah (laughs) i have to be totally out of my mind to be here but but if you do want to be there there is such a thing as as you know as feeling the energy of other people you know and going with it as opposed to resisting it you know? Right, yeah. And maybe just for that is usually doesn't last all night <laughs> when you're sober, but even just for a little while, you know, just allowing yourself to surrender to it, like feeling that, you know, kind of receptivity to other people having a good time instead of that resistance or instead of that resentment. So it's a similar thing when, for example, jealousy comes up in the manifestation process. If you're feeling envy or jealousy of somebody, instead of doing that, like that, that makes you feel bad. Mm. Right. So like instead of feeling that envy or jealousy, you can just take a moment and think, okay, you know what? I really am. I want that for myself. And I'm so happy that person has it because, you know, that means there's, yeah, exactly. It exists and, you know, good for them. And I can have it too in my own way, in my own time. Mm. And so it it brings you more into a state of like, you know, uh, expansion, Mm. you know? And so I think that's a nice trick too, if you can do that. Mm. you're able to like mm. if it's comfortable for you to do that to, instead because when you I find it's like that fear the old fear and resentment and resistance comes in you know judgment mm-hmm. which kind of creates an isolating feeling at least for me mm. um, so when you're able yeah, to like a separation creates a separation you know if you're able to even like 
yeah, like you kind of just in, encourage your own, like, you know, placebo effect of why you're doing it and feel yeah. good about it. And um, yeah, really just kind of connecting to the resource in your mind of why you're doing what you're doing. And also one step at a time, like tonight, tomorrow, this month. Yeah. You know, um, like how good it's going to feel. So five reasons why, you know, you're, what you're going to do to make yourself feel comfortable in that night, in that moment around those people. And then maybe five reasons why it's going to feel so good to do that. And the people that you admire that do it, how mm. good they feel. Mm. That is so easy to do. It takes like five minutes, but it makes a big difference because when you're doing that, you feel good. Mm. And it's that inner, that tiny little inner drugstore of the mind is activated and you're like, oh, like this feels, I mean, you feel the serotonin, you feel the dopamine, you feel the confidence, just a little bit, you know, can go a long way. And is the writing it down because that sort of makes it more real. It's like you're proactive, you're using your, you talked about imagination being creative and a proactive rather than a kind of like just an internal sort of fantasy state. It's by writing it down, you're actually making it real in a way. You're making it real. Exactly. It's very important. It's very important to do that. I guess scientifically it's because it goes into your long-term memory more, but you know, you're just engaging that alignment of your motor skills, your, you know, your intention and you're, you know, clicking into a place where you're like, okay, I have this to rely on. I've made it real. And same thing with affirmations, but bring it into the body where you can really align it with your muscles, with your breath, you know, with your body. So it gives you actionable steps to interrupt those old patterns because the brain doesn't really know what it's doing. <laughs> you know, it's, I like to think of it as a little child Yeah. that you, you can't straight talk to it. You know, you have, you can't just be like, Hey, you're having a temperature and you can't go to the candy store. The child's not going to be like, Oh yeah, you're right. You're totally right. We're not going to the candy store. No, it's not going to be like that. You have to coax the child. <laughs> You know, and then all of a sudden you're at the park and they're having a good time and they didn't have the candy and it's fine. You're right. So that's a little bit like the addictive mind and the, you know, the mind's a wonderful tool of terrible master thing. We have to kind of have access that overview experience, be our own, you know, guardian, our own parent or, mm. or more fun word. <laughs> Guru. Yeah. Be our own, like, you know, self-support, like, you know, person and, um, and just coax it, you know, mm. just take it one step at a time. Because also the, the mind or the, it's, the brain is only one brain, right? The heart is now technically a brain. Mm. The gut is now technically a brain. There's mm. more serotonin in your gut than there is in any other part of your body. So working with those other parts of your intelligence to mm. interrupt that old pattern, because the mind is, you know, it's just on autopilot. There's the mm. default mode and it's, it doesn't really like to change. Unfortunately, that's all that's really happening. <laughs> so it makes it challenging because we have to kind of work with, the, you know, our changing environment and our yeah. changing habits and how to, like, let go of these, like, kind of sticky, glitchy behaviors and habits, you know? Well, yeah, our brain is, is basically, its job is to figure stuff out. And so if, if it's figured out that alcohol does this thing for us, it will just keep going back to that until we disrupt that. Right. And what you, what you were saying about, you know, feeling jealous and envious, I think that a lot of people will be able to relate to that. Like, why can't I just have fun and drink like everybody else? Mm -hmm. What about if you took out the drink? Why can't I just have fun like everybody else? Because what you want that they've got is a smile on their face. Mm -hmm. And, 
you know, confidence to get on the dance floor. You don't actually want the alcohol. You want the experience they're having, which you associate with the fact that they're drinking. Right. And of course, that's reinforced by the fact that alcohol happens to be in all of those situations where we hug and smile and dance and have fun. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> Very cleverly placed there by <laughs> alcohol marketing companies. But no, I mean, it's a natural, I mean, it, it does loosen us up because it shuts down our inhibitions or whatever. But yeah, I think that was, that's something that really came up for me. It was like, what do I actually want that they've got? Like, what do mm-hmm. I actually want that I think alcohol is going to give me in this situation? And how can I actually feel that in my body now? Mm-hmm. Perhaps by being around other people who are having that experience and opening myself up to taking on some of their energy and like just being in it with them. Yeah, totally. like that. I mean, I'm, re- I'm remembering um, a couple of things that, from what you're saying, but one um, is I had an aunt growing up who was in AA um, for many, many years. I think I never knew her when she was drinking. When I was very, very young. But it always seemed like she was totally drunk and high, but she never was because she's like, oh my God, I've been drunk for so many years it's lasted now forever and like everybody around her was drinking all the time but she was so like quirky and funny and like laughing so much and like it was like she was always like (laughs) totally tipsy you know and so I think and then I have another friend who's been sober for a long time um same kind of thing like she's like oh I've done so much so many drugs that like I can tap into that so easily Mm. you know like that kind of thing you know Mm. like this shit it it's just like something that's you know you can feel good about and not be hung over mm. you know and maybe you're not going to stay up all night because staying up all night is actually not that great anyway because then you have to you're not going to get any sleep and you're going to feel bad so but you know in a more natural way maybe you can kind of like open up to that kind of i don't yeah. know feeling well i think yeah the important thing is to remember like with the trance state, we don't have to have alcohol to get in this trance state. We don't have to use social media to get in a trance state. We can like take ourselves there just in the same way. We can have all these exalted feeling states. We don't have to, they exist in our bodies already. We don't have to have a substance. It's about finding other ways to get there. For sure. I can get really high. Like I, when you and I hang out, I feel like we've, drunk, <laughs> we've had drinks because it's always such an easy conversation. It's always like, bam, 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 giggles. I'm like, it's the same. That's, I, but it's not like that with everyone. Right. It's about finding the people, the situations where yeah. you naturally are activated in that way. For sure. Rather than forcing yourself into socializing a certain way or kind of like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember a psychotherapist that I was working with years ago, um, you know, working with my issue of drinking at the time. And just culturally, I grew up with a lot of alcohol, um, my family and everything. And he was like, yeah, you know, first of all, like your friend said this, or Malcolm Gladwell, actually. Malcolm Gladwell. I wish Gladwell. he was my friend. I'll give it for his name. Hang out. Um, said it's like this kind of myopic kind of agent. Um, I remember my psychotherapist saying, like, yes, it's like you can't be an alcoholic or experiencing alcoholism without narcissism, without this kind of like extreme self-centered view, you know, because mm. it comes in and focuses in so much. Mm. But then also it takes away, you know, you think you're having fun and you are sometimes for sure. Mm. I mean, I guess, but ultimately over time, it's not so much fun. It does, you know, damage as well, but it, you know, it's, it, it actually numbs that real childlike sense of play. And a lot of times people who are prone to it didn't have that Mm. freedom or safety in childhood to feel play. 
and you know with the real healing journey that's un, you know unveiled through changing your relationship to alcohol you're numbing out right when you're drinking all the time or doing drugs when you open up that sensitivity then you're you know obviously it's a deep healing journey that happens but also you are opening up to that ability natural ability to play and have fun and also feel like oh this feels safe i feel good with this person i don't have to i don't want to be out of my mind i want to be really present and remember everything that's happening you know mm-hmm. and reclaim that sense of of play in a different way you mm-hmm. know which i'm still totally got a long way to go on that but oh, yeah, i think so many of us do like our playtime is so regimented like yeah. depending on kind of how we grew up but for the majority of us it's like the older we get, the less time we have to just naturally follow our creativity or like be silly or For sure. dance or, you know, yeah. just make make fun of the world. It just becomes more and more regimented. And I think that's really sad. I was really thinking that on, so we're recording like the week after um, the election results and who knows where we'll be with that by the time this comes <laughs> out. But. <laughs> For that night, anyway, my entire area became this kind of street party and the atmosphere was just incredible. There was like a full-on house music ready <laughs> happening in my local park, like cars honking, like it was a party. It was play, play, play. And of course, every trash can on every corner was spilling over with white claw cans. <laughs> and of course, like no, no judgment, but it just really brought home like it's so we have such a strong association between celebration, play, joy, and alcohol. We almost can't do the celebration, play, joy without alcohol. Yeah. And I was so grateful that I wasn't drinking because I knew I'd remember every moment of that Mm. evening, which was so incredible Mm -hmm. um, and really could feel it all in my body. And it just made me have a moment of sadness, actually, for the fact that we often need alcohol to give ourselves permission to feel good, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that when we consciously change our relationship to alcohol, we do start to really dehypnotize ourselves from the conditioning that's happened culturally with the associations of it and how it's anchored into. You see it everywhere. It's mm-hmm. everywhere. It's mm-hmm. like when you become aware of it, you're like, oh my gosh, like the whole culture revolves around it. This is how we rest and relax and play. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, doing that work of like, yeah, consciously changing your relationship to it, then it just really empowers you mm. so much that you don't have that, you know, like you can see things differently and feel more free, I think, ultimately. And sometimes that takes work. Or For sure. usually that takes work. Yeah. So <laughs> relearn how to use that muscle, you know. I'd love to hear a bit since you touched on it, like what's your current relationship to alcohol and substances, like personally? Well, I mean, it's been a journey, that's for sure, that I'm still on. Um, I definitely, you know, with becoming a hypnosis practitioner, part of the reason why I came to it was, I guess, burnout, um, depression, loss of direction in my life, all those things. Um, But what was real, I was really medicating myself for for years in my 20s, especially in my 20s, with alcohol going out all the time and it was very much like kind of incorporated into my work and networking and I'm publishing a magazine and working like for this fashion designer and doing all this stuff so it was masked it's never like I was at home you know drinking on my own 
but that didn't really matter because I was drinking a lot almost every night and like until like the wee hours of the night. And, um, and I grew up in a home where there were like multiple bars and like huge parties, tons of drinking. And so it was really in my blood, so to speak, you know, Mm -hmm. and I started drinking quite young too. Like I, it was like old for my family, but I was 16, you know, Mm -hmm. so young enough. So it, it, I do have a very, you know, kind of intimate relationship with it. So I had to really completely like change and stop my relationship with it at that time when I started hypnosis training and it was just, I, I just still was that but because you wanted to have more clarity for the practice that you were learning and engaging with or because it was, it was very destructive, you know, at that point I was so numb emotionally and I just wasn't well. And I think that the, I was medicating myself for years with alcohol um, and so I had to remove that mm-hmm. in order to really heal and understand what I was feeling and why and who the hell I was really. Yeah. <laughs> and also deal with all the fear and insecurity that I was masking for years. Um, and so hypnosis really helped me. And I had been in years of psychotherapy, um, towards that kind of like tail end of, of that kind of crazy 20 drinking era. But, you know, and, and that helped me definitely to a certain level of really understand culturally, like my family, where I was coming from, all that stuff, my personal history. But then hypnosis really did the trick because it went deep. Because anything I was really able to change or wanting to change rather at that time, I wasn't successful at because I came upon a wall of shame that was so thick and so debilitating that it's just, it didn't work. You know, it was like I was just always hitting a wall of like being self-defeating or self-sabotaging or just being deeply insecure. But with hypnosis, I was able to really feel that I could access this well, even just a little bit. This like inner well of feeling, you know what? You're okay. It's going to be okay. We got this. Like it's going to take a little while. But I felt this, the love on a deeper level in the place where I really needed it. And I couldn't, I didn't have access to that before. Mm. I only had access to it in that trance state. And it went back, went back to all those places in childhood that were previously exiled. And, and then it just continued to work its way into fortifying uh, a, a greater sense of self, you know, uh, confidence and self collaboration. That then I was able to, yeah, just like, really come into alignment with doing things that I love and feeling like I was capable and able and, um, worthy, worthy. Yeah, exactly. The life you actually wanted. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I remember it was like coming around the bend, you know, I came around the bend. It, it, It did feel like that old, like native American saying, like you have the bad wolf and the good wolf, which one are you going to feed? And I was really right there kind of feeding both mm-hmm. and like massive amounts of like treats at the same time, mm-hmm. <laughs> and like kind of playing with fate, like which one's going to win? Like, I don't know, actually, you know, but then when I came around the bend, like really chain making those changes and after hypnosis really helped me to kind of feel worthy, I then was like, oh no, of course the good is going to win. The good was only ever really there. This other stuff is just falling away. And that's, that's, you know, we got this. It's going to, it's going to be a long road, but like, there's no going back now. And so from there, 
you know, I went from basically maybe five, ten, five to eight years of like my twenties and college years drinking probably five, six nights a week. Um, a lot. <laughs> it's just like basically going out every night of the week to not going out at all. And now I will, you know, have a few drinks, but I can't have any more than a few, you know, like maybe once a month, depending on the situation, maybe once a week, depending on the situation, maybe not at all for a little, for long stretches of time, but it's, I can't, it doesn't work anymore. Like it does, but it doesn't make me happy. Like it used to, for those short periods of time, I can't stay up all night. I can't have, I can't, I can't work. I love my work so much and it gives me so much, you know, purpose and fulfillment. I absolutely cannot be hungover doing this work. So, and I work all the time. Mm-hmm. I, so now, I mean, maybe that's another kind of issue, but, <laughs> but I, there's just, so it just naturally happened like that. So it like, I kind of like, I transferred all my creative life force energy that was going into like dancing the night away <laughs> five, six nights a week, went into, you know, building, learning hypnosis, doing the practice, creating the school, doing all these things that I just, there's no, it doesn't work. They just like, are, it's like oil and water. They just don't work anymore. Mm. So, it, so it's kind of helped me because coming into alignment like that is just like naturally been like, oh, that's not really going to work. But at the same time, you know, I still, it's still in my life, you know, but, you know, I play around with like figuring things out like, oh, maybe, maybe it won't be at one point. Like I know, like right now it's, it is where it is. I just recently gotten diagnosed with ADD, mm. which has been really interesting. Um, something that I always thought about and I think now looking back like you know on the social anxiety and the kind of things that I was masking when I was drinking when I was in my 20s I am I think maybe it was a little bit of that too I mean I don't know I I think the ADD obviously is coming from a lot of different places you know maybe developmentally and inherited I don't know lots of different things but definitely a low dopamine you know and like the way that my brain was functioning and my executive function was working, you know, a real challenge for me, you know, and I was medicating with, with alcohol readily available, totally culturally, um, accepted in my family. And so just kind of like going that route. And so once I removed that and really was able to really think, okay, wait, what's going on? How do I make my brain work? Make it work for me. What am I really feeling? And that's a real, that's a lifelong journey of understanding, you know, my feeling, what I'm feeling and why, you know? Yeah, we don't um, learn that. We don't get taught that. No, so I'm still like, you know, I've done, I the last couple of years I did like this deep um, Jungian shadow work and group therapy, which was excruciating <laughs> and <laughs> really triggering, but I think it really did help in the end. Um, yeah, it was all about, it's the opposite of hypnosis. It's, it's like getting right into the feeling, going right into that deep dark fear and like you know confronting it wow you know in a group in a group because in, in the group kind of mimics um childhood family dynamics it was terribly excruciating for me <laughs> i didn't do a good job at all i needed years more unfortunately my my therapist passed away last oh. year but um but yeah i did it for you know a good amount of time and it really helped but it's i think it's a lifelong journey for me you know mm. um well it sounds sure. like you know you talked about medicating and that we 
we throw that term around of they're self-medicating. And I think a lot of us are aware that we're using alcohol to medicate something. We just don't know what we're medicating mm-hmm. while we're still using because we haven't got the awareness or the focus or the time mm-hmm. to or the inclination to actually look at what we're medicating. We know we're medicating something. We don't really know what it is. And I experience the same thing now. Like, there's no point in me drinking now because it just doesn't do the thing I wanted it to do. And that you just made me think about, like, well, that's because... I don't need that medicine any like that I've healed I've, I've addressed or I found other ways to work with let's say because like it's an ongoing thing mm-hmm. I found other ways to kind of like medicate <laughs> that aren't that so that medicine just doesn't work for me anymore you yeah. know it's got no place totally I remember first when when um I think it was before was it before I started doing hypnosis well, I started meditating a lot, mm. and I I was going to yoga ashram like quite often um, upstate New York just to like kind of heal and reset and things like that. So I remember going for my first like ten days or something, and um, yeah, like no drinking. This is like my late twenties, so like I would do that intermittently to like reset and things like that. So no drinking, eating really healthy, doing yoga for ten days, and then I came back and my brother was in town, and. You know, it's what we do. Like, you know, my parents are from Ireland, and not to totally be stereotypical about it, but they they love drinking and the whole thing. So he came into town, and of course we were like, oh, I'm going to go to this this pub and this bar. And, this. and we just had a few drinks, but I just started, like, I almost blacked out. Wow. And I was like, I have to go home. Like, I can't. I, he's like, what's wrong with you? We literally only had, like, two drinks. Like, who are you, you know? And I was just like, I can't. Like, I think I, like, just got in a cab, went home. I don't remember how I got home. The next day I had the worst hangover of my whole life and I only had a few drinks, but it was the first time it was like, this is not working. This direction, all this like, cause I was always doing like the healing and the kind of like searching and meditating on the side, but it just, it was more, the, the more that increased and like that substance just, they just did not work together, you know? And then with hypnosis, especially in the beginning, same thing. Going into that, st- I, I was doing research on that before this um, interview because I was thinking, what exactly happens? Why does that happen? Because they just don't mm. work. Like, is it the brain chemistry? Is it the prefrontal cortex? Like, what's happening there? But they just completely um, don't work. Alcohol and hypnosis. Alcohol, hypnosis, alcohol, meditation. Yeah. Well, you know, it seems like they're kind of, alcohol is like mimicking this natural function of the brain. Mm-hmm. And so it's a bit like... No, that's obviously going to be revealed as a fake. Right. This is full. And this is like, oh, yeah, this is, we're going to like yeah. Teflon that out. Yeah. <laughs> I've also been thinking so much as you've been speaking and just thinking about that concept of the wishing well and this source, this well that we described of kind of um, self-healing that's available to us in all these different forms. And it makes me even think about the term wellness. Mm, like, that's so it, true. Is it so good? Wellness. <laughs> Yes. Just having access like consistently to that well of kind of inner resource that you've been talking about, which is where hypnosis can take us, you know? Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> We're both like, like, like Hallelujah. Oh that was like chill. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I can't believe I've just written a whole book on this and now put that in. That is amazing. That's so beautiful. I love that so much. Can you still put that in the book? <laughs> Well, you can put it in your book, but it's, that's a, that's, that's such a beautiful notion and connection. And I think, you know, the word wellness now has been so, Mm. you know, we Mm -hmm. we're, we get removed from it, but that really brings it back to this kind of generative source that it is like, you have a lot of what you need inside of you, you know, Mm -hmm. and that, 
there's no right or wrong way to do it, you know. Um, everybody's different, you know, like in how they find their way, but it is this felt sense from the inside out, I think, that really makes all the difference in a sustaining kind of way. Mm. And finding whatever ways we can to dip back into that well, hypnosis being one of them. Exactly. Yeah. I'd love just to, this has been so deep and rich, this conversation. <laughs> I'd love, you talk about, um, you know, wishful thinking and wishing, the difference actually between wishful thinking and wishing well, like intentional wishing, I suppose, in your book, Wishcraft. Mm-hmm. And you have lots of wishes that people can use in their meditations or just kind of in their practice. But if you were, if for somebody who's on their sober curious path, who might be, curious about playing with wishing well for themselves on this path Mm. how can they begin to maybe bring that into their day just as they're yeah wanting to tap into that kind of reserve of wellness in themselves and apply it to the choices they're making whether it's around drinking or other substances or even social media you know I think you know starting out in a very simple way of bringing yourself to what you love and appreciate about yourself. Mm. You know, there's a lot of benefits that, you know, surround the notion of gratitude. There's a lot of science that kind of supports the benefits of gratitude practice. But I think that when you're really trying to make a change for yourself, like, for example, when I was coming upon that wall of shame again and again and again, before I found, you know, this kind of connection to that inner well to find this support and this kind of well-wishing for myself, you know, I wasn't able to really do it. So I feel like first it's about gratitude for the self, for the appreciation for yourself in a, in a unconditional loving and supportive way. So starting small with a few things that you really uh, appreciate about yourself. So I like to do it like a mind training before you go to sleep. Review your day because we don't remember what happens. The brain tracks negativity with more gravity, with more attentional gravity, you know, then it tra- then attracts positivity or progress, right? That's like the fight or flight, cortisol, adrenaline, they register like fire alarms. And so your brain just goes there. One bad thing that happens or that one craving, that's what hijacks your mind. So just by intentionally, before you go to bed, reviewing your day and zeroing in on three things that you can thank yourself for. But it's not about accomplishing anything. It's just about the way that you see it, the way that you receive it. And you, by doing that, you start to build a relationship with yourself as if you're your own best friend. Mm-hmm. So trying to imagine yourself there for yourself as if you're your own best friend. Maybe you feel it or maybe you see it. And you say, thank you so much. Thanks for not being so hard on yourself. Thanks for just getting through today. Thanks for putting that red lipstick on. <laughs> or whatever it is, you know? And when you do that, just kind of take a moment to feel like you're giving and receiving it, you know? So it is, it's, you feel like you're, that well is being nourished and recognized and then it's amazing how your brain really follows your instruction it's a cumulative exercise so simple but it can really make a big difference and then you know just taking it slow as far as anticipating the moments that you may get triggered you know breathing into a resource or getting an access point to that well it might be an image it might be an anchor your bracelet an affirmation you know um calling a friend, you know, just something to interrupt that old pattern and just breathe, just move through it, you know. Mm-hmm. But wishing them, wishing yourself well in a way, just very small on a daily basis, just thank yourself just for being you because it's not easy, you know. First of all, like life is 
complicated and wild <laughs> and changing all the time, that's for sure. And so it's a beautiful thing when we try to to make this intentional change for ourselves. So just try to be easy on ourselves, take it one step at a time. And, um, and I also, you know, it does to help other people very much helps ourselves, you know, not in a way that's like avoided, but in a way that like we're all connected, you know, and, um, yeah, like volunteer. That's amazing. Help a friend. That's a beautiful act of wishing other people well, you know, mm. actually physically putting your actions putting your creativity and your imagination into action mm-hmm. like bringing what, it the out the kind of world that you want to see as well like start making it today yeah exactly exactly yeah yeah so that would be that would be my i love that thank you so much this conversation's been fantastic and for everybody curious about checking out your book i will include the link in the show notes but it's got a great title so how can you forget a book called wishcraft <laughs> <laughs> And thank you as always for being here. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and leave us a five-star review on iTunes to help more people find this series. This podcast is edited and features original music by alloaudio.com. That's A-L-O-E audio.com. <laughs>